0: Open your Bibles with me to Zechariah chapter 12. Zechariah chapter 12. We have some really interesting things to cover tonight. And this is one of those times when I've got way too much material for one session. So this will go into the future, probably, if the Lord doesn't return. And I want you to see, let's read verses 1 through 5. The burden of the word of the Lord for Israel. Now, I want you to notice something right there as we start. The burden of the word of the Lord for Israel, not against Israel. So in the prophecies before they were carried away into captivity, it it was a burden against them. And so now it's a burden for them, and you'll see why. The burden of the word of the Lord for Israel, saith the Lord, which stretcheth forth the heavens and layeth the foundation of the earth and formeth the spirit of man within him. Wasn't it a blessing to look at that this morning, that our God, our creator, the one that we worship, cares about us? I loved looking at that. Then verse 2, Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of trembling unto all the people round about, when they shall be in the siege both against Judah and against Jerusalem. And in that day I will make Jerusalem a burdensome stone. So Jerusalem is a cup of trembling. And in verse 3, Jerusalem is a burdensome stone. All that burden themselves with it shall be cut in pieces, though all the people of the earth be gathered together against it. Now... It's interesting that that this passage, what we have in, in Zechariah 12, we have the deliverance of Jerusalem, and then we have the conversion of Israel. The conversion of Israel goes from the second half of chapter 12 through chapter 13, and then chapter 14 comes back around to how God is going to deal with these nations in the way that they treat Jerusalem. So... Verses 2 and 3 here in chapter 12, and we're going to come back and read through 5, possibly, if we have enough time. But verses 2 and 3 need to be compared to chapter 14, verses 1 through 3. Now, if you've not read this, you're about to see some amazing stuff. So young people, plug in, get your Bibles open. We're about to see just some amazing things here in this text. So go to chapter 14, look at verse 1. Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, and thy spoil shall be divided in the midst of thee. Now, I don't want to assume that everyone is up to speed with this. I'm not going to take any time on it. But always, when you see the day of the Lord, when you see that phrase, the day of the Lord, it is dealing with the return of Jesus Christ. It can be the rapture, or it can be the second coming. Remember, the rapture is when we go up. The second coming is when we come back with him, and he comes to the earth. All right? So, the two parts of of the second coming or the rapture and then his appearing on earth the day of the lord can either be the rapture or it can be the tribulation or it can be the kingdom the context will always tell you but it's always his return it's always either the rapture or his return to the earth and the things that are in between all right now so when let's go back to chapter 14 verse 1 behold the day of the lord cometh And thy spoil shall be divided in the midst of thee, for I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle. So do you see how similar that is? Look at uh, chapter 3. I'm sorry, chapter 12 and verse 3. And in that day will I make Jerusalem a burdensome stone for all people. All that burden themselves with it shall be cut in pieces, though all the people of the earth be gathered together against it. So do you see how we're talking about the same situation? And so, remember this image. I love this image. If you picture a line that's going back on itself, you're out drawing circles that are going back on themselves. That's the way that Jewish literature is. So, what we have is we have the information in chapter 12. We move to chapter 13. And then we come in chapter 14, we come back over chapter 12. That's kind of the way that the Bible works. So, Genesis chapter 1, you have creation. Sometimes people think there are two creation accounts... Because in Genesis chapter 2, you have the same information with some other things added. And all that is, is if you take your line, it goes back and circles back around on itself and fills it in. And then you have that same thing in uh, uh, Exodus. Uh, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. The same things. 1 and 2 Kings, First and Second Chronicles, 1 and 2 Samuel. The same kind of thing, same information going back over it. That's what's happening in this text. So, let's, let's read on. Verse, so, we're back in chapter 14 and verse 2. For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city shall be taken, and the houses rifled, and the women ravished, and half of the city shall go forth into captivity, and the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations, as when he fought in the day of battle, all right? We may get to verse 4 tonight. We'll we'll see. Now, here's what happens again. In chapter 14, such an interesting thing, you have that same process. So in chapter 14 and verse 4, we move ahead a little bit, but if you go to verse 12, we've circled back on the same thing. Look at verse 12. And this... Folks, this is an amazing passage of Scripture right here. And this shall be the plague wherewith the Lord will smite all the people that have fought against Jerusalem. Their flesh shall consume away while they stand upon their feet, and their eyes shall consume away in their holes, and their tongue shall consume away in their mouth. And it shall come to pass in that day that a great tumult from the Lord shall be among them and they shall lay hold every one upon the hand of his neighbor and his hand shall rise up against the hand of his neighbor and Judah also shall fight at Jerusalem and the wealth of all the heathen round about shall be gathered together gold and silver and apparel in great abundance. So what we have here is that plague that's described. James Knox in his commentary, he said that it's like uh, Indiana Jones, but it's not Hollywood. It's real. This plague that comes upon the people. They're consumed of it while they're standing up. And, and it describes this process. Their flesh starts to fall off. And then their eyes dissolve. And then their tongue dissolves. So it, doesn't it sound horrible? And it's while they're standing there. And why does it happen? Look at Zechariah. Chapter, I think it's chapter 3. No, it's chapter 2, verse 4. I'm sorry. Chapter 2, verse 8. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, after the glory... Now remember, so when you see that word glory, looking at Bible prophecy... After the glory, the glory is his glorious appearing from Titus chapter 2. We're looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. So after the glory, thus saith the Lord of hosts, after the glory hath he sent me unto the nations which spoiled you. All right, remember that from Zechariah chapter 14? Your spoils divided in the midst of you? For thus saith the Lord of hosts, after the glory hath he sent me unto the nations which spoiled you. For he that toucheth you toucheth the apple of his eye. Okay, dads. How many of you dads have daughters? Would you raise your hands? How many of you dads have a daughter? How many of you dads have a son? What are you going to do if somebody messes with that child? There's no way to describe the anger and the passion that would come up in you. When someone, and I'm not talking they give him a bad grade. I'm I'm talking about somebody that really hurts your child. There's no way to describe what comes up in you. And we're sinners. Imagine the righteous fury of God when someone touches his people. Because when you touch them, you touch the apple of his eye. You're poking God in the eye. And I think that's a really bad idea. What do you all think? And so what we're seeing in chapter 14 is a result of that. Now, let's go back to chapter 12. So at the second coming or the second advent, the first advent was when Jesus Christ was born in human flesh. The second advent is when he returns to the earth. And I'm, I'm going to be reading from a particular commentary, a commentator that I trust tonight, And some of this material is just really fun. He says this, At the second advent, there are three fronts on which the Antichrist is fighting against those Jews. So there's three fronts. There's Armageddon, and that's Revelation chapter 19. So let's go to Revelation 19, and let's get an idea of what Armageddon is. Of course, keep your place in Zechariah. take a little intermission here and just talk to you for a second. One of the things that's fun for me as a pastor, um, so 20 years ago, for me trying to teach this stuff, I was really having to rely on older teachers, you know, because I don't know about you guys, there's so much of this prophecy information that it's hard to put it all together and process it all. Are, Are you with me? But now, you know, 22 years of going over portions of this, over and over again, now here in the book of Zechariah, we're really able to start to put some of it together. And it's so fun that after all these years, I feel like I'm starting to get a better understanding of all of this, how all of this stuff works. I know that's comforting for you to hear that your pastor is finally understanding the stuff he's been teaching you for 20 years. But how many of you understand what I mean by that? There's so much of it that ties together. And tonight, we're going to look at some stuff. Some of it is a little speculative, but most of it is just right there in the text. And it's just a matter of of building on top one passage on another. And we're going to put this together. But we really need to understand what's going on. So, uh, Armageddon, Revelation chapter 19... So look at verse 1. And after these things, I heard a great voice uh, of much people in heaven saying, Alleluia, salvation and glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God. And so what happens now is Jesus Christ comes back. So look at verse 11. And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True, He should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture, that's on his garment, and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Um, And that's a little different than Kanye West's sweatshirt. Have you seen that he was wearing King of Kings? How many of you saw that? Supposedly he got saved. And he's really calling out the liberals and everything. And he keeps wearing this sweatshirt that says, King of Kings. Amen. That's a little different garment than what is being described right here. So now look at verse 17. And I saw an angel standing in the sun. Do you think maybe that's a powerful angel? Think about that. And and he's got to be really big if you can see him. Crazy, And I saw an angel standing in the sun and he cried with a loud voice saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, come and gather yourselves together unto the supper of the great God. Now that sounds nice, doesn't it? Look at the next verse that ye may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains and the flesh of mighty men and the flesh of horses and of them that sit on them. And the flesh of all men, both free and bond, both small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. And the beast was taken and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast and them that worshipped his image." These were both cast alive into a lake burning with fire and brimstone, and the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse, which sword proceeded out of his mouth, and all the fowls were filled with their flesh. Now that's a picturesque scene, isn't it? Now this is the battle of Armageddon. That's not what's being described in Zechariah chapter 14. There are three different events. There's the battle of Armageddon, three fronts, and then there is um, this battle in a place called Sila Petra. Selah Petra. And then the battle in Jerusalem, which we read about in Zechariah chapter 14. Three fronts. All right, so now I want to go through a couple of things before we get there. So, the testimony in the prophets is that God Almighty gathers the roughly 190 Gentile nations in the United Nations to Israel and Jerusalem for one reason so that he can wipe them out. So, let's look at that. Go to Isaiah chapter 28. I'm sorry, Isaiah chapter 29. We're going to try and get an understanding of these three fronts, or at least two of them tonight. Look at Isaiah chapter 29. And look at verse 8. Verse 7. And the multitude of all the nations that fight against Ariel, even all that fight against her and her munition and that distress her, shall be as a dream of a night vision. It shall even be as when an hungry man dreameth, and behold, he eateth, but he awaketh, and his soul is empty. How many have been dreaming you're hungry and you you ate something and you woke up and you hadn't really eaten that? That's the way he's describing it. But he awaketh and his soul is empty. Or, as when a thirsty man dreameth, and behold, he drinketh, but awaketh, and behold, he is faint, and his soul hath appetite. So shall the multitude of all the nations be that fight against Mount Zion. So all of these nations, it's so crazy, they have a dream of conquering Israel. They have a dream of conquering Jerusalem. And they think they're going to accomplish this dream, but it's not going to be like that. It's not going to be like that at all. How many of you think al-Baghdadi had a dream? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, did you see, how many of you saw what President Trump said about him? So al-Baghdadi, the head of ISIS, we killed him last night. Our special forces found him, went in, and took him out. And President Trump said he died like a dog and a coward, whimpering like a dog and a coward. He crawled into a tunnel, took three of his children with him, and set off a, a... What do you call it? What do you call it? A A suicide vest. He had a dream. He had a dream of a caliphate that would take over all of the Middle East and especially of Jerusalem. Do you realize how many people have tried to come against God's people? Well, God had them scattered. God brought them back. And no one is going to be able to come against them until Jesus Christ returns. And then they're going to make a covenant with the Antichrist. And that covenant is a seven-year covenant, but three and a half years into the covenant, he violates it, And they have constructed, at that time they will have constructed a temple in Jerusalem and in the holiest of all, the place that people call the Holy of Holies. He will set up an image of himself to be worshipped and that's when he will reveal himself as the Antichrist. And Jesus in Matthew chapter 24 says, let's look at it, Matthew chapter 24. Verse 15, "...when ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place, whoso readeth let him understand." Then let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains let him which is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house neither let him which is in the field return back to his to take his clothes and woe unto them that are with child and to them that give suck in those days but pray that your flight be not in winter neither on the sabbath day for then shall be great "...tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be." So when that takes place, then the children of Israel, they fly to this place called Sila Petra. And we're going to look at that in the Bible in a little while. But what God does is He gathers those Gentile nations to Israel and to Jerusalem to wipe them out. Now, go back to Zechariah chapter 12... And again, notice the two things that God makes Jerusalem. In verse 2, he says, Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of trembling. And then in verse 3, And in that day will I make Jerusalem a burdensome stone for all people. A cup of trembling and a burdensome stone. So I want to trace that cup of trembling a little bit. Go to Isaiah chapter 51. Isaiah 51, and look at verse 17. Awake, awake, stand up, O Jerusalem, which hast drunk at the hand of the Lord the cup of his fury. Thou hast drunken the dregs of the cup of trembling and wrung them out. Okay, so I want you to notice something that's interesting. For three and a half years... God makes Jerusalem drink that cup of trembling. That's what the tribulation is all about. They are drinking the cup of God's wrath and God's fury on them. And we've looked at that. We've looked at what the, the how God describes how he's going to bring seven times the judgments, seven times the plagues on them. He says it over and over again. He says it three times. And what's interesting is you have... Three different groups of seven plagues. You have the seven trumpets. You have this, I'm sorry, the seven scrolls, the seven trumpets and the seven vials. And what God is doing for those, for those seven years of tribulation is he's pouring out that cup of wrath on the nation of Israel and he's forcing them to drink it. Well, what happens at the end of the tribulation is now the nations that come against him are going to drink that. So Jerusalem goes from drinking the cup of fury to being the cup of fury. And that is what is going to destroy the nations that come. Now, look at Jeremiah chapter 25. How many of you think God's serious? Jeremiah chapter 25, look at verse 15. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel unto me, Take the wine cup of this fury at my hand and cause all the nations to whom I send unto thee to drink it. And they shall drink and be moved and be mad because of the sword that I will send among them. So notice what it says. They'll drink and be moved and be mad. Hold your place right here. Go back to Zechariah. Keep keep Jeremiah 25. Go to Zechariah chapter 12. Look at verse 4. In that day, saith the Lord, I will smite every horse with astonishment and his rider with madness. Do you see that? His rider with madness. Go back to Jeremiah 25. Now, just look up here at me for just a second. Don't be confused when the Bible is saying he's going to smite every horse and every rider with madness. See, sometimes people think that these prophecy writers were writing with the only language they understood. That's just not the case. God could have given them ways to describe it if it was going to be something other than a horse. They would have said something they don't understand and, because the, the Bible uses language like that. They would have said it's like a horse, but it's made of steel. Or they would have used language like that. That kind of language is used in the Bible. The reason it says a horse. Remember what happens in uh, the world during the tribulation. The Bible. Well, look, just look at it. Look at Revel- keep, keep Jeremiah twenty-five. And look at Revelation chapter six. I make myself, I I rush myself. I I feel like I have to finish a certain amount. We've got the rest of our lives to finish the book of Zechariah, right? We can do this. Revelation 6. How many of you feel like it's been your whole life already? All right. Revelation chapter 6, verse 12. And I beheld when he had opened the sixth seal, and, lo, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon has blood. So there goes all of your solar power. And the stars of heaven fell into the earth, even as a fig tree casteth her untimely figs when she is shaken of a mighty wind. And the, there goes your, your windmills. And the heaven departed as a scroll when it is rolled together. And every mountain and island were moved out of their places. Every mountain and island. How's the hydropower doing now? How is, do you remember what happened when the, uh, the, oh, the monsoon or whatever they called it, hit Japan, and the nuclear reactor melted down, and the island of Japan was moved a few feet during that. what 's going to happen to the world when every mountain is moved out of its place? Every body of water is moved out of its place There's no energy. Can you imagine what's going to happen in the oil refineries when that happens? All the oil is going to be spilled. It's going to be gone. The fires and everything that's happening. So what's going to be happening during this time period is all of the energy is going to be gone. They're going to be back to riding horses. And we've not even talked about an EMP yet. How many of you think that maybe... All of these explosions can have the same result as an EMP. You know what an EMP is? It's you, you set off a nuclear explosion in a, at a certain level in the atmosphere, and all of the electrical devices in the world stop. They don't work anymore. That's not fantasy. That's not science fiction. That's reality. How many of you know that that is reality? And there are smaller EMP units that... that uh, armies use to knock out vehicles and to knock out computers. And all of that exists already right now. The president is launching his Star Wars initiative, his space force. And people laugh at that. Well, China already has all of these satellites that can attack other satellites. And what happens if our communication satellites get knocked out? Now, the Internet doesn't work. Now, we're not able to communicate. Now, our army is not able to communicate the way that it ought to all the way around the globe. It's all that... All of that is already in place. And it's interesting. The man that President Trump put in charge of that is he was a congressman from Oklahoma called Jim Bridenstine, and he's an independent Bible-believing Baptist. He's the one that would give us our tour of the Capitol and that we would pray, pray with on the floor of the Congress. That's who God has put in charge... Of our space force. How about that? I think that is so cool. It's so much for the Prince of the Power of the Air, right? Man, I love that. So all of this is going to happen. So when God says he, he smites the horses with madness and with and then the men, the riders with madness, that's exactly what's going to happen. So go go back with me to Jeremiah chapter twenty five. And this is what happens when they drink that cup, verse 16 again, and they shall drink and be moved and be mad because of the sword that I will send among them. Then took I the cup at the Lord's hand and made all the nations to drink unto whom the Lord had sent me. I hate it when little pieces of my Bible come off in my hand while I'm preaching. We'll put that back later. All right, now, so in Jeremiah, you can see this this cup of fury that happens. So in verses 18 through 26, we're not going to take the time to read them, of Jeremiah 25. The nations that, you know, let's look at it. Look at verse 18. To wit, because we're not in a hurry, right? Jerusalem and the cities of Judah... And the kings thereof and the princes thereof to make them a desolation and astonishment and hissing and a curse as it is in this day. Now look at the nations that are listed. Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and his servants and his princes and all his people. And all the mingled people and all the kings of the land of Uz and all the kings of the land of the Philistines. So what are we we talking about there? That's Egypt, the Palestinians, the Gaza Strip. That's what that's talking about. And Ashkelon and Aza and Ekron and the remnant of Ashdod, Edom and Moab and the children of Ammon. What are those nations? That's Jordan and Lebanon, Saudi Arabia, Iraq and Iran. All of those nations. Look at verse 26. And all the kings of the north, look at that, far and near. All the way to Russia, that's far. Near European Union, all of those nations. Those are all the nations that God's talking about. Now notice, it doesn't say the European Union or Russia. All the lands to the north, far and near. So get a map and look at all the nations that are to the north, far and near. And these are the nations that God is going to bring against Israel. It's amazing. It's amazing. All the kingdoms of the world, which are upon the face of the earth. Um, Is that the United States? Is that Mexico? Is that possibly? Possibly. All the nations of the earth. We don't know where the United States will end. Remember, all the believers are gone. (laughs) Let me just say, how are we doing holding back the evil right now? In the United States. How are we doing? How many people came out against the president when he wanted to move our embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem? How many Republicans came out against him? A bunch of them. A bunch of them. What's going to happen when all the believers are gone? There's no love for Israel among those people. It's an interesting thing what God does. Now, look at Psalm 75. You don't have to hold Jeremiah there, but look at Psalm 75. Look at verse 8. Let's go back to verse 6. For promotion cometh neither from the east, nor from the west, nor from the south. And if you've been in the Wednesday night Bible study, you would expect the next to be the north, wouldn't you? But God is the judge. God comes from the sides of the north. He putteth down one and setteth up another. For in the hand of the Lord there is a cup, and the wine is red. It is full of mixture, and he poureth out the same. But the dregs thereof, all the wicked of the earth, shall wring them out and drink them. But I will declare forever, I will sing the praises to the God of Jacob. How about that? What an amazing passage of Scripture. And what's interesting... This is such an interesting thing. This is the wrath that God's going to pour out on the whole earth. He pours it out in Jerusalem, and he pours it out on the whole earth. But I want you to notice something. Go to John chapter 18. I'll tell you what verse when I get there. All right, so, if you remember, this is when Jesus Christ is being arrested in the garden. Verse 8, Jesus answered, I have told you that I am he. If therefore ye seek me, let these go their way. Remember, Jesus is establishing his authority. He's in charge. That the saying might be fulfilled which he spake of them, uh, that he spake, Of them which thou gavest me have I lost none. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it, And smote the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Then said Jesus unto Peter, put up thy sword into the sheath. The cup which my father hath given me, shall I not drink it? I want you to think about something. What is the cup that he's going to drink? It's the cup of the wrath of Almighty God. All of that, when Jesus was on the cross, that wrath that we're reading about, that's what was poured out on Jesus Christ. And here's what God is telling the world. This is such an important message. Either, Jesus is saying, either you can let me drink it or you can drink it. That's what the cross says. Either, listen, I've drunk it for you already. You you can either let me drink it or you can drink it. That's up to you. And so now when we have read Zechariah chapter 14 and you see the flesh melting off of those people, we say, how in the world could God do that? Jesus Christ drank that for them already. It doesn't have to happen to them. It's their choice. It's their choice. Folks, we need to remember that that cup, when Jesus Jesus prayed and he said, Father, if it be thy will, let this cup pass from me. Can you imagine? He's God. He's completely righteous. He can't bear to look at sin at all. And now he's going to drink the cup of God's wrath. That's what Jesus Christ did for us. I have made this mistake because it's so moving to me, when, especially as a young man, when I was your age, and I would hear a preacher describe the death of Christ on the cross. Man, it moved me so much, and it still does. How many of you feel that way? When you really comprehend the physical suffering of Christ, th- listen, we can do the math. Let's say that there have been 10 billion people live. Take the suffering of Christ, his physical suffering, and multiply it by 10 billion, listen, times eternity. Because that's how long your suffering would be. That's what Christ drank. He drank the fury for everyone, not just those of us who are saved. Everyone who has ever lived and everyone who ever will live, Jesus Christ drank their punishment on the cross. That's what he did. So the wrath of God's fury, that cup that we're reading about and that we see in the Bible, that's what Jesus did for us. That's unbelievable. I've heard it said this way, he suffered more than the cumulative suffering of every man that has ever lived and ever will live, that's the suffering that Jesus Christ took. But the component that's missed in that is time's eternity. That's what Jesus did. That's the cup of the fury of God. So when we think of the cup that God is going to pour out on the world and on these nations that come against Israel, man, this is a really serious thing. We need to tell people about Jesus. He drank that. He drank that cup for them. We need to tell them in the best way that we know how we need to tell people about Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's stop there for tonight. Lord, thank you so much for your word and the opportunity to study it. With every head bowed, how many of you know someone that's not saved? I want you to think about what is in store for them.